you so much for joining us. Um, this is the Academy of American Poets. I'm so excited to be here in conversation today with Sasha Pimentel, uh, the Poem Day guest editor for March 2021. Um, welcome, Sasha. Hi. Hi. Hi, Tara. How are you? I'm so good now that we're talking. Oh, <laughs> me too. Are you calling from Chicago? Yes, Chicago, Chicago, and El Paso. El Paso. El Paso Juarez, yes. <laughs> Um, so let's kind of jump right into it. Uh, how did you approach curating Poma Day? Oh, um, that's so cool. Um, because I'm from the Philippines and because I live in this area called Border in El Paso Juarez, that's really kind of just like an external attempt to impose a boundary on a land and peoples in order to name one part of the same land as one country and one part of the same land as another country. Um, and because I teach in a bilingual MFA program in Spanish and English, the poetry I know speaks to and works from many languages and many histories, even as a poem, is unfolding in a single present. So I really want to bring in poets who carry inside them a sense of place and a sense of being that's larger than the ways we often name belonging, right? Like, so that means transnational writers, writers who refute the boundaries that are often named upon us through geography or through gender, multilingual writers. That meant for me seeing the Academy of American Poets, like the word American as the Americas and not this estado unidencidad that's too often assumed into the word American. And that meant using this extraordinary opportunity to curate into the canon a way to be in awe of how much poets use language to imagine and speak an unthreatened belonging. So I thought about the narrative arc of the month, how it might start with writers who question and refute the bounds placed upon the body and space and how later weeks might rise in tension with poets who are speaking their own rhythms and their own measures into the historical violences which by force have attempted to shrink and constrain us, but against which those poets speak anyway. And in so speaking, uncover that freedom and that expansiveness that's possibility in language, even when they're speaking from places of painful utterance. Like you mentioned that earlier today, um, something, you said something about like speaking light into a wound. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I was looking for in poets like that. And I was wondering how each week might arc narratively too, and also how the month could just kind of end buoyantly and in many languages. Um, that's, that's what I have, like, you know. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I'm so excited for people to read these poems, truly. Um, gosh. And that's only the first question. Okay. <laughs> um, if you could direct readers to one poem in our collection that you haven't curated, uh, what would it be? Oh, I know I'm always writing this in emails to you. I'm always like, Patricia Smith. Um, but I think Patricia Smith, like, it's, it's, it's absurd what a fangirl I am, right? Like, I think Patricia Smith is just our living North Star in poetry. Like, I'm going to talk about, like, one poet in, another, in terms of another. But Philip Levine has a poem on poets.org titled A Story in which he says, make no mistake, a family was here, you see, the path worn into linoleum like a wood. And in her poem, Incendiary Art on poets.org, so that's the poem I'm choosing, Incendiary Art, even though I took a bypass to Levine. Um, Patricia Smith's Incendiary Art, Patricia insists on that kind of guarding, that insistence against effacement, that insistence through language that a person and people have lived and are living and I think that's one of the most valuable things we can do as artists to say, stop, hold on, like this life that a person lives or has lived, that mattered and we value it with language, you know? And incendiary art, she writes a poem that speaks a larger, more intimate truth about community and a city's people against how the violences in cities of color 
are often misnamed into that terrible small world, small word riot. Like it's such a stupid, awful word, riot. And she uses the wonder of the poetic line to speak towards what Major Jackson calls exaltation. Like Smith will move in one line from the words, their bodies to the word art. And she'll end her lines, even though she's talking about pain, in a word like as big and ripe with possibility as the word air. And she speaks about violence without extending it, without like she names it, but she doesn't extend the violence. And so to me, Patricia Smith always names that which is most important in a language that's always true, always complex, exploratory and swollen with kinetic energy. And in the last lines of that poem, she says, our sons don't burn their cities as a rule, born as they are up to their necks in fuel. I mean, Patricia Smith, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. And the way that even in you talking about Patricia Smith, and there is this incredible essay that we're so lucky that you wrote for us about Patricia Smith um, and her poem, Practice Standing Unleashed and Clean. Um, the way that, I mean, I, I forget the word that you use, but like the, like routing through Philip Levine, right? Invoking Major Jackson, like the ways in which our poets and our poetry just cannot and do not exist in a vacuum. Yeah. And calling towards each other as ancestors, I can see that in your month, how each poet and poem is talking to another one that came before it will connect to one that came after. Like when I'm reading a poem at the end of the month, I remember a poem that happened at the beginning of the month. And that's such an exciting journey that you've like created for us. And oh gosh, I'm just so excited. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it, thank you. Yeah, I love what you say, like we don't live in a vacuum, we speak to another, especially in these times of pandemic, right? We're all in these various quarantines. Grief has been flattened, even though we're supposed to lament and rue and wail and celebrate together, like in physical bodies. So like we're calling out as poets one to another more than ever, or maybe the same, who knows? But I love that. Yeah. You say we call out one to another. Thank you so much. Yeah. If you reach for me, I'll reach for you. <laughs> I love that, right? Um, like, poetry is the only place where that's still safe. You know what I mean? Gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, I'm like, I keep holding my hands like this because I, I don't know, it just feels very sacred, this whole thing. Um, okay. So, uh, who are you reading right now? Oh, okay. Like, Part of me was like, um, the news all the time. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? But then I'm like, wait, wait a minute, bring it back to literature, Sasha. Um, I spent the morning typing up two versions of James Baldwin's letter to my nephew, how it first appeared in 1962 versus the 1963 version in The Fire Next Time. Um, because I do this like a lot, and I do it a lot with Baldwin, because um, it's kind of this way to enter inside his sentences to see how he's working through his clauses and his commas and his punctuation. And I know that sounds weird, maybe. Like, maybe I'm just like this weird nerd who's like out there just reading people really hard. Um, you know what I mean? Probably. Um, but I don't, I don't think I ever understood like the power of a comma until I started studying Baldwin. And in this way, how he can just distill such clarity and weight into a part of language with the right pauses here and there. Um, I'm reading Art Spiegelman's book, I don't know if it's called Comics or Comics, um, that goes over his career, like, of, of you know, of um, his graphics, his comics, and um, what I think that's fascinating me right now is it has all these pictures of the New Yorker, like, all the covers that were rejected and that were accepted, 
And to be able in this way to see how an institution inside a living culture like resists or runs with an artist, I think that's fascinating. And it kind of reminds me of that, like, um, I know you're talking about, I'm supposed to be talking about who I'm reading, but I watch a lot of television. And like, I was just um, watching this comedy special of Tig Notaro. And there's a moment where after having had a double mastectomy, she takes off her shirt and she does the rest of her comic, like she does the rest of her set, like shirtless. And it's amazing, right? And so it's beautiful and amazing and wonderful. And it really makes us like question what limitations of gender have been applied to our torsos that takes act like now refutes and stuns. And so that's what I'm thinking of when I read Art Spiegelman. But I'm always just kind of like in the works old and new of Kathy Park Hong, Natalie Diaz, Michael Torres, Martina Spada, Gregory Pardlo, Paisley Rectal, Monica Yoon, and Tarfia Faizula. Um, and oh, the stories of Margarita Garcia Robayo, um, because I'm kind of just trying to see how like these masters, these writers are going in and out of time and somehow collapsing and creating time in their writing. And then I just babbled like a nerd again, and I'm sorry. Yes, pro-nerd. <laughs> I love the idea of rewriting work. I've never, I've never thought about that before. So thank you for opening this door. Oh my God, really? Like I make my students do it. I learned it from my teacher, Sharon Bryan, because she was writing about her mother. And so she found this diary in her mother's handwriting and she put tracing paper on it. And in kind of tracing over her mother's handwriting, she entered her mom's mind. And like, I can't go over people's handwriting, but I'm like, at least I could retype it, you know? Oh my God, I don't wanna cry. That's so beautiful. Oh my gosh. And it's, a, and it's like you said, like the ways that, oh, long pauses in an interview. Um, I'm so sorry. I, that was incredibly beautiful. Thank you. You gotta love the pregnant pause. I mean, <laughs> yeah. poets who don't love the pregnant pause, what's wrong yeah. with us? You know what I mean? And the comma, right? Like it all comes back to it. Like that John Donne poem, um, death comma thou shalt die right like the only thing that separates you from the living and the dead is just the the lung the breath right that one pause it's so good it's what poetry has that no other form has like these 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 inherent pauses or not inherent these constructed pauses we make through line break and comma and like measure and rhythm like mm -hmm. nothing else has that but poetry right and even those instances where like sometimes a poet will put like not one space but just like two spaces like that this quick seizure where you're like okay let me like beat beat and like how yeah. does that kind of like how does that mesh with the rhythm of the, the blood in the body how does that like kind of like throw you into like syncopation very right. cool right very cool. Young and Natasha Trethewey do that constantly right yeah. like, oh my god whenever I read Trethewey I'm just like how like, how does such magic exist in the world and on the page? You know what I mean? And Natasha Trethewey, <laughs> she's the one who gave me the language of the love. The wound is the place where the light enters. Oh, I love that. And love that. so thank you, Natasha Trethewey. Thank you, Paula. Thank you, Natasha Trethewey. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, one last question. Um, what are you currently working on now in your writing, teaching, or publishing life? I know oh. we've like, heard some of it already, but... Thank you for asking. Um, I just finished a weird essay about, I think it's weird, I don't know, about like birds and fish and how we measure pain scientifically, but also how we might pass on harm without meaning it one to another. 
Um, and I'm working on a series of poems, kind of trying to reconcile the familial and the personal, like the post-colonial, like what we name and where we keep our silences in the US, the Philippines, Germany, and Latin America. Um, I was really, really lucky like to get to live and teach at, um, in Leipzig, Germany, and to get to teach at Universität Leipzig for almost a year. And in Germany, their sense of monuments and history is so different than in the US. I mean, we hear about this in the news constantly right now, um, like which monuments we contest and which monuments we stand by. And like, so I've been thinking a lot about how monuments, we make monuments in space and language, both culturally, but also personally, and what that might mean when we remember it and when we refuse memory, you know? So I'm just kind of working on that. And I'm grateful to you all for the time to read and learn. I've learned so much um, getting to read the poet, like poets, poems of poets I love. And um, I'm on an NEA right now, so I'm really grateful to the National Endowment of the Arts and my university for that time to read and write. Like, I feel like a kid, you know? And I just, it's stupid cool how, how you know, to get to read poetry and get to write. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> I know. Oh, um, well, this was amazing. Thank you so much for being here with us, for working on Poem Day. I'm so excited for people to read these poems. Um, I'm so grateful to you. Like the work that you all do at the Academy of American Poets, it's essential. It's essential. Y'all move the world around us and it's an awesome world through poetry. And I'm so grateful to you. Like, I don't know how much you know, how much those of us out there are constantly reading and learning from what the work that y'all do. So thank you. Oh, that's very sweet. Um, well, well, thank you. It's all for y'all, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, have a lovely day. You too. Bye. Thank you Bye. so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thank Bye. Poem a Day is the original daily poetry series featuring new work by today's poets. Produced by the Academy of American Poets, this free digital series is made possible by you, our readers and listeners. Learn more about Poem a Day, and if you can, please consider supporting this work by visiting poets.org give.